Hello, and welcome to this week's bonus episode of Lit Service, where we're doing a hot seat critique. I'm Caitlin. I'm Cameron. There is a um, a fun discussion of The Mandalorian newest season finale, if you guys feel like listening to it, over on our Patreon account, which you can see on, let's see, it's patreon.com slash Lit Service Podcast. So go check it out. So we're going to read for 20 minutes and just give the critique that we can as we go. I still haven't set a timer because I'm bad at talking and doing things at the same time. But here we go. 20 minutes start. And I'm going to start reading. Branwen Furch Lear was in a pickle. I'm going to jump in right there. So it's not like fatal, but having a really weird fantasy name in the first sentence is kind of a red flag. <laughs> I actually like it because it's got a fun contrast between the funky name and that was in a pickle. And so I feel like it's setting the tone where we have high fantasy plus a pickle. But I mean, it could go either way. I can understand where, where um, Cameron's coming from, though, because that is quite a mouthful. And starting that way can be unmooring a little bit. Okay. Not a literal pickle, of course, but a difficult position kind of pickle. She couldn't move a muscle. The young girl, just 12 seasons old and normally in full charge of her faculties... Normally in full charge. Okay, so I guess we're establishing the fact that this is not normal. Lay splayed on a flat slab of granite, laid out like a turkey dinner, well-seasoned and served up for any passing beast or bandit. I'd love some grounding detail at this point. Where are we? Her body tricked into a forgetful sleep by a crude mixture of passion flower, hops, lemon balm, and valerian root, and left in this vulnerable state to be intercepted by Baylor's writers. So... There's a few weird details in this first paragraph that I'm not quite sure what to do with. Um, so one of the ones I'll throw in there is normally in full charge of her of her faculties. We kind of would have assumed that. I don't know that it needs to get pointed out. And then another one, the phrasing, we get this laid out like a turkey dinner, well-seasoned and served up for any passing beast or bandit. It's, it's, it's metaphorical to describe her position, but it's one of those things that could be taken literally. And since it's not literal... It interrupts the flow of trying to figure out what's going on. Because you've just been dumped into this story. So you really want every detail you give the reader to be making it more and more specific. Rather than this. Since she, since she isn't literally that. But could have been interpreted as literally that. It's it's not as helpful as it could be. I can see that. I um I think it probably depends on what age group this is for. Um, if this is an adult book, which it doesn't seem like it is. It seems like this is maybe middle grade is my guess, which is, is maybe where you'd get into trouble with that name. But I could be completely wrong. Like, I, I don't know. It doesn't have a genre or age group on it because I didn't put one on it because I'm lazy. Um, sorry about that, guys. I did like this sentence, like the turkey dinner. I thought that that was great voice, but I do see where Karen's coming from as far as like not having grounding detail and then having that come in. We're just being introduced to her. So like, we don't know if this is literal or if it's voice. Like I have the question in my mind, is she, is she literally seasoned? Is there rosemary? <laughs> I kind of got that after we get to the, her body's been tricked into a forgetful sleep by a crude, like I, I get the. And then it says specifically left in this vulnerable state to be intercepted by Baylor's writers. I assumed that it was metaphorical and that she's been drugged and left specifically for a specific purpose. But I can see it coming both ways. So like, yeah. Like, so we get there. We get there. It's just that when you're yeah. looking at your very first immediate slap in the face introduction to an agent or an editor, 
You don't want to get there. You want to be there. Yeah. So, I mean, a really easy prescriptive fix would be to switch the order there. Um, I did have a kind of a quibble with the that she's been tricked into forgetful sleep. So I'm not sure if she's awake or asleep. Because if she is awake, then who's telling – I mean, if she's asleep, who's telling the story? Or is it – I guess it could just be really far out. Like it's not from her point of view necessarily. It could be omniscient. So – well, I was going to say, I just, I've just scanned ahead and we get confirmation of her mental state, but it's not for another two paragraphs. So okay. it's that kind of ordering of details that's getting in the way. Right. Okay. Yeah. If she had been captured by writers, the story might have ended here. But because she wasn't, this is where it begins. Okay, I guess we we have a narrator. With Branwen dumped... Branwen? Oh, that is her name. Maybe it's Bronwyn. Is it Bronwyn or Branwen? Bronwyn. With Bronwyn dumped unceremoniously on top of an outcrop of a rock and a forest glade, her leg twisted underneath her at an unnatural angle, listening to two strange voices, Spar and the brisk autumn wind. So she's awake. So, like, if we want to be prescriptive, I would say stick the, the details of where she is, how she's laying, and why that are in the second paragraph in the first one. Because we got way more information about what's actually going on than mm-hmm. we did in the first paragraph. Well, also, she if she's laid out like a turkey dinner, then why is her leg twisted under her? It sounds like she fell in the middle of walking. We're being really nitpicky here. Okay. Bronwyn's mind was foggy. She heard only the loudest snippets. You're making a grave mistake. An icy voice laced the air like frost. On the contrary, this will be my greatest triumph to date, a male voice countered. You'll regret this, the first speaker warned. The haughty voice belonged to Odron, the sorceress who happened to be quarreling with her counterpart, Maydog the mage. Bronwyn didn't know the sorceress or the mage. Despite her stupor, however, she could sense the presence of the mage. A bright aura of well-being eclipsed Bronwyn whenever he hovered near. That's an unclear antecedent. No, it's not really, I guess. She knows this mage because she sees the... Whatever. His features fuzzing indistinct. The sorcerer's hover was truly in disembodied. Orden refused to show the mage even the slightest gesture of respect by materializing into solid form. I kind of like that um, detail, <clears throat> that it was a gesture of respect to show her actual face. Instead, she spoke from the grain cracks and crevices in between time. See, this does not sound like middle grade to me. The interstices where magic lurk, floating and free and full of potential. If you would like to correct the pronunciation of that word, I don't know what it is. Go for it, Cameron. <laughs> it's a really cool like presentation of like a ethereal being out of phase thing. Yeah. Super cool. Um, I will say, so like at this point, if I was going to put a word on the kind of narrator we've got, like this is omniscient because there's all kinds of details flowing that I wouldn't expect. It's obviously not from any one person's POV. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah, I don't know. It's just a thing I, I'm going to be watching to see like if that continues or if we just abruptly drop it or yeah. what happens. Okay. She's not the one, Orden snapped decisively. Maydog sucked in his breath. At least that's what Bronwyn half imagined. A sharp intake of air and a vague sense that she was being watched, contemplated, considered for something. So this is where I decide all the time, every single time I read an omniscient book, that I don't like it. Because in omniscient books, you can't get one character's like reactions to what's going on. I'm assuming a 12-year-old girl who is almost – that I like, can't move would be really freaked out and maybe slightly less excited about listening to these people talk. Or maybe she'd be excited because you want us to know how to get out of it. This is my personal quibble with Omniscient. If it's what you like, then it's what you like, and that's awesome. She could be the one. Maydog traced the symbol in Bronwyn's forearm with barely the brush of, oh, they're standing over her and touching her. Wow, this just got much creepier. Etched into the skin in fading indigo was the fivefold symbol of the Elfenu, 
Five loops, one for each element. Earth, wind, water, and fire connected at the center by a fifth loop, the spirit that brings balance to all things. Though his words were vague, Bronwyn's skin tingled under the mage's touch. Its humming stretching stretched her fingers and toes. Stretched to her fingers and toes. And the other? Orton challenged. Where's the other? That's kind of fun. You've got the one and the other. That's like a fun subversion of tropes, actually. I like that. It makes me think it's less of like the one and more like... Tweedledee and Tweedledum. Um, but not really. The ground trembled under approaching hoofbeats. Maydog crouched over Bronwyn, placing both hands on her left kneecap. He closed his eyes and muttered in an incantation. The tingle in her extremities gathered into an intense heat and her knee, her leg, somehow untwisted itself. The steady thump of hoofs grew louder. Bronwyn shifted her head. The riders burst from the edge of the forest. Oh, she can move? I thought she was paralyzed. The riders burst from the edge of the forest, the clanking of their weapons scattering small birds high into the treetops. Actually, you know what? If she can move and she's just letting these people talk over her, like, I have questions about that. She's majorly drugged. I guess that's... Yes. Okay. I can get on board with that. The early evening sun glinted off their helmets and their cloaks, and their cloaks flapped behind them like the black wings of ravens. The outcrop of rock cut through their flanks as they hurtled past, their figures broad and heaving the riders were gone as quickly as they appeared, leaving a bleak stillness in their wake. Ooh, so we got some kind of magic going, or just bad people. You don't know what you're up against, Odron hissed into the settling silence. You won't succeed. You're a vain fool. A pearly white raven launched from the tree line into the purpling sky. It is beginning, Maydog said as he shrank back into the shadows. Like the delicate frond of a budding fern, the prophecy is unfolding. Bronwyn slipped into unconsciousness. You know, as a beginning, I think this is pretty cool. Yeah, I think... So my general takeaway is this strikes me as a setting the tone prologue for my guess is we're about to jump into a a chapter one that doesn't have a lot of the magics going on or the, right. the supernatural threat or whatever. And so this is showing that that's where we're going, which is a good thing to have. I do wonder if the amount of, of detail that right now doesn't mean anything to me, but it's, yeah, it, it is a pretty cool starting thing um, i did have one small thing there's a little bit of ambiguity with the outcome of rock cut through their flanks i don't know if it's talking about the flanks of the formation or the flanks of the horses i don't know if there's mm. wounded horses now anyway it's just an ambiguous word choice but yeah yeah eleanor was late which was odd because 12 year old eleanor gwynn was never late not if she could help it in fact the only time she had ever been late before was exactly one month ago when her mother left home Eleanor missed half a day of school due to circumstances beyond her control. At least that's how her father explained the situation to her principal. So... I really like that as an opening. It was pretty good. I'm going to say, it seems like my implication, you know, we got the, there's magic, I promise, prologue, and then we jump into the, at least so far, much more mundane first chapter. So that's a pretty good use of a prologue as far well, as... But it's, it's not exactly mundane. We've got, like, a girl, we've got voice in here, she's never late, and then we also have a mom who's disappeared, which I think is a great oh, combination by, by of... mundane, I mean... No, yeah, I'm not. I'm not criticizing you. I don't mean boring. You. I don't I'm mean saying we have a little girl at school, which is much less interesting than a girl who's drugged on the road and with wizards arguing. No, over I'm not her. saying that's less interesting. <laughs> I'm saying it's it's less wizards in a forest. Yeah. Okay. And while that day had been strange and unpredictable, this day was well on its way to being unremarkable and not even half as chaotic, giving her no good reason to be late. Eleanor noted with frustration, she couldn't have been more wrong. Mm, there's a there's that there's, so there is more omniscient definitely poking in there mm -hmm. eleanor had an inkling that the painful memories of her mother's abrupt departure had sidetracked her thoughts and waylaid her punctuality since she tended to ignore vague notions she packed the memories away in a dark corner of her mind like you might stuff a shirt that you hated 
from a stodgy gold great aunt into the back of your closet. Instead, Eleanor focused on the task at hand, meeting her best friend Leia at the usual spot, Castle Rock. I actually like those details. I feel like this does feel very adulty, like in the prose, um, even though we have young main characters. But I like the little asides that are from a narrator, I guess. Um, like the stodgy old great aunt, and then she couldn't have been more wrong. I like both of those for voice. What did you think, Cameron? This is as a response right now. Her interior voice is like very intelligent for a 12-year-old, which is not necessarily a problem. I'm just going to look for that to be reflected in her actions moving forward. Eleanor checked her carpus, a wearable device that doubled as a smartwatch. 8, 12 a.m. in four seconds. Technically, Eleanor wasn't late yet. She was behind schedule by two minutes and 56 seconds, which only increased the probability that she'd be late. Eleanor hurried along the coastal path that hugged the limestone cliffs inside the marine biodome. Built during the Great Dying on a defunct old fishing village, it was one of a cluster of six mega biodomes in District WC019. Each biodome contained a diverse and balanced habitat, marine, parkland, forest, wetlands, and township, and state-of-the-art farm lab. Eleanor's wristband chimed with a notification. Rainfall scheduled for the Avesbury Park Biodome at 8.20 a.m. So we've got some pretty serious world building going on here. We went from fantasy to sci-fi. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, but I like I like what I'm reading so far. My it, There's just enough that my brain is jumping to. I wonder if this is like, you know, a few hundred years from now. If it is the great, you know, my brain is, is the great dying mass extinction caused by humanity, perhaps. And everything's managed now. Is that that we're going and i'm not going to be mad at all if that's not it but the fact that i'm coming up with easy interesting stuff based off what we're given is a great sign yeah totally agree and you're also giving us a lot of clues about what this world actually looks like for her and her fixation on the time and the fact that she gets a like a notification that rainfall is scheduled it's a whole lot about the world and about the character so awesome up ahead, tree branches waved in a light artificial wind. It was autumn in the Avesbury Park biodome. Each biodome was programmed to simulate the seasons. The Parkland biodome collected its own rainwater and produced rain, sleet, or fog at designated times throughout the day. Now I have to beat the rain too, Eleanor grumbled as she entered the tunnel, connecting the coastal dome with the lush Parkland dome, and she'd forgotten to wear her water-repelling hydrophobic jacket. How had she left home so unprepared? Mm. water repelling and hydrophobic a little redundant uh, whatever it was, it was the same thing in my brain but um, moving on eleanor didn't see the route that snaked across the path until she tripped over it oof she grunted sprawled out flat eye level with the foot of the enormous granite stone that marked the entrance to avesbury park eleanor's gaze snagged on a park marked crevice nestled deep inside a glint of silver winked out at her eleanor moved in for a closer look and gasped the twinge of pain behind her knee Sh- her interesting knee again Hmm. Okay. Her left kneecap had taken the brunt of her fall along with her palms, which were red and chafed. She brushed them off and climbed to her feet. Hooking two fingers behind the embedded object, Eleanor tugged. A silver pendant with a milky white stone slipped easily into her hand. It hung on a tarnished silver chain the size of an old-fashioned coin her mother had once given her. Eleanor flipped the pendant over and wiped away the dried mud and clay. Etched into the back was a raven with a hooked beak and a tiny blue gemstone for an eye. A series of unfamiliar lines were scratched underneath. Eleanor ran her fingers over the cryptid markings and a small shock vibrated through her body. Putting the shiver down to an autumn chill, Eleanor pressed the small button on top of the pendant. It looked like an old pocket watch that should open, but no matter how hard she pried, the front piece wouldn't budge. The air around Eleanor pulsed with energy. There was a surge and a slight wobble. Ka ka ka. <laughs> that was very nice. Thank you. The grating cry of a crow started Eleanor back to reality. The trees that buttressed the park's entrance came alive with crows. With loud shrieks, they settled into nearby branches, shrouding the trees in a thick curtain of black. I'm going to miss Leah if I don't hurry, Eleanor scrolled herself, losing track of time. 
Thunder rumbled in the distance. Eleanor squinted up thousands of feet to the biodome's roof, past the interlocking hexagons of the structure's steel frame, up to where layers of reinforced glass, plastic, and insulating gases protect the interior of each dome from the external extreme elements. The elements that had sent them here long before Eleanor was born in 2065. Hmm. Interesting. Near future. So in the future, but not that far in the future. This could be alternate universe, of course, but... That's true. But it does seem like a... It seems like it must be near future, otherwise they wouldn't have chosen that year because it's so close to the year that we live in. It just seems yeah. like it would cause too many questions. I love this. This is really cool. I, I do think I'm surprised that there's not more of a reaction when the crows all come out. I mean, crows are big and scary and loud. And she's like, I'm late, and doesn't seem to notice that they're there. But aside from that... I agree. Either the crows are abnormal and she should freak out a little bit, or the crows are normal, in which case, like, hey, look, it's the normal crows. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I am, I'm, I am hoping that this pendant turns out to be important, which it sure does seem like it is at the moment, that she didn't just trip and find it, that there's going to be some kind of shenanigans that explains that coincidence, but. Well, and also that her knee, that the, the fact that she hurt her knee is relevant and not just that's somebody's fixation on knees. I will say this reads like a, like we've like, we've just hit our inciting incident a mm -hmm. little bit. So yeah. bravo for getting that within the first 10 pages. Yeah. Something interesting happening. Gray black storm clouds churned in the outer sky. Ooh, cool. You can see outside an oppressive darkness pressed down on the treetops. Lightning sparkled, sparked, startling the crows into flight. The acrid smell of smoke crept into the air. So I thought that they were already in flight, but now they're startled again. Was someone burning a fire? Someone controlled fire. Sometimes controlled fires were lit to renew habitat, but never in the Parkland biodome. Lighting a fire for any reason here was illegal. Eleanor should know. Her father was the engineer in charge of maintaining biodiversity in all six biodomes in District WC-019. That might be a detail worth dropping earlier. It's not bad that it's here, but it helps explain how much she knows. Mm. I'm cool with it being... I mean, it's like in the first chapter. I think it's cool, but I mean, it could go earlier. The second flash of lightning lit up the outer sky. Suddenly, Eleanor was engulfed in a dense black smoke. Figures sprang to life in the murky haze. A mob of people dressed in costume danced around a bonfire. Oh, my goodness. Their distorted faces painted in blue, white, and black. So there's a bonfire suddenly and people. Disoriented, that's to say the least of it. Eleanor, I'm disoriented as well. Eleanor stumbled around in search of the fire. I thought she could see it. No, there's smoke. There's a haze, and there's a bonfire, but now she's searching for the fire. Smoke crept into her nostrils. Yeah. It caught in her throat, and Eleanor hacked out a cough. The pendant vibrated in her hand. The rancid odor mingled with the rising ash and soot. Large men rode up on horseback, and the dancers scattered, screaming. Okay, so we're out of time. Any last thoughts? I'm wondering if the pendant transported her somewhere that happens yeah. to look similar. But whatever happened, I need. I, I feel like we're, we're missing some pretty dramatic signposting because the way it reads right now is just, oh, thunder and bonfire. It's just there. Yeah. There's Which, a, even yeah. if literally a bonfire just popped into existence, bad editing style, like like bad visual effects editing style, we need lamp shading that that's mm -hmm. what happened. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, well, I mean, we have figures springing into life and a mob of people dressed in costume. I feel like there is no transition here. Yeah. Which even if it's transition, even if it's her being like, I'm going to find the fire or like, even if it's just like a, the zap where she, which there already has been one, it vibrates, right? Um, where she notices something is different and I must be in a different place. That would be great. 
there's your prescriptive advice for today. Um, any other last thoughts? Um, I think just that I want to throw out that, especially starting with chapter one and then getting to right here, minus the little, the little hiccup with the bonfire. This is really solid and flows really well. Absolutely. I totally agree. I really like this and I would totally read the rest of this book. It's awesome. I mean, except for the fact that I would complain the whole time about omniscient narrators, but I would still like it. Thank you for listening and we will see you in a couple weeks.